Good morning, church. Open your copy of God's Word to Revelation chapter 2, last book of the Bible. Flip all the way to the back. If you hit the glossary, you've gone too far. Back up, okay? We are in a series seven. We're looking at the seven churches that are being referenced, that are letters are being written to from the Apostle John as he's penning the very words that Jesus is speaking to him. Letters are being spread all throughout Asia Minor, which is today modern day Turkey. And these seven churches, uh, do, we, do we got a picture? Man, some of us are more visual, so let's do this. Over the past weeks, as we think about these churches that are receiving letters, God is addressing each one specifically and uniquely. And first of all, we looked at Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. And you see that you see Ephesus there, number one, on the coastline. Uh, as you work your way north, we talked about a couple weeks ago, we talked about Smyrna, uh, that the, the church was under persecution. Ephesus was a place where uh, they, they lost their first love, even though they stood for the truth. Last week, we looked at the church, the letter to the church of Pergamum, and there we had talked about the compromising church, that there was a need for addressing where that they were slowly fading from the truth. And so today, we're looking at the church of Thyatira. We're moving inland, Thyatira. There is corruption happening. There is a evolution of lies being spread and heresies, false teaching. The church in Ephesus was loyal to the truth, but they were lacking one thing. What were they lacking, church? There was no love. And then pretty soon, when you, when you move away from love for Jesus, what, what is going to happen when suffering for the truth comes. We see a progression that under great persecution, and if there is no love, it leads to a compromised church, compromising the truth. What are we going to look at today? The church of Thyatira is now at a place where they're not just losing love. They're not just compromising the faith. We're going to be looking at a church that has abandoned the faith altogether. Even though there were church services happening, even though there were warm bodies in the room, Jesus and the Holy Spirit had, had left the building. They were left to themselves. And would everybody believe this morning that if you went to Thyatira, to that location, guess what's not there? There is no church there. There's nothing to be found. And so do you believe that God has a word for us today, a warning do you believe that sometimes that maybe God is stirring something, maybe not in somebody else, but he's talking, he's talking to me. Would you, would you go ahead and point to yourself and say, he's talking to me. And today we're looking at the fourth church and we could title this dear sexually immoral church. And I know that 2000 years ago, they were really struggling in the church with sexual immorality. Aren't you glad that we don't struggle with that today? Man, glad that's not our problem. There's no sexual confusion, no gender confusion, no identity confusion. There is no problems in the church today, but I guess there was back then. So maybe we should take a peek at, at their failures. Or maybe, just maybe, the Bible is not just a book of what happened, but what always happens. And so what we've been praying for during the series is that we would get low, that we would pray for revival. Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 18. I want us to consider this bold statement. I'm the church. I'm the church. If you're a Christian, say, I am the church. And if I am the church and I'm more tolerant than God, I'm failing. We have a lot to address, not only about what happened in Thyatira, but, in, but instead what always happens in every generation, in every city, in every church. We are confronted with something. Here, here's our introduction to this letter. Verse 18, if you are there, 
Say ready. Here we go. Verse 18 of Revelation 2. Uh, if you don't have a bulletin, you can shoot up your hand. I think everybody has one, but if, if you came in, want to be taking notes, our men can get that to you. And we read this. This is God's word. I'm only the messenger. Point to me and say, he's the messenger. If you have any arguments or disagreements, I'm just trying to be faithful to say what God said. To the angel of the church of Thyatira write, and we're talking a letter being sent to this church in this city and god's words are this the words of the son of god jesus somebody say jesus these are the words of jesus these are not human words people did not write this god wrote this book and he wrote this letter to this church and how has god portrayed himself to be this is what he said who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze somebody say wow we're talking about not, not Jesus cuddling with sheep, long flowing blonde hair Jesus. Not, not Jesus in the white robe just flolicking around in his flip-flops. Not that Jesus. We're talking about the Jesus that's going to return that has fire in his eyes and his feet are locked in and there is business to be done that I don't know what version of Jesus you have in your mind. I don't know what paintings that you've been checking out over your lifetime, I don't know what stories that you have heard about Jesus or what flanographs maybe growing up that you saw of Jesus, but this is the one true God. And he's flames of fire and feet that are ready to move and do some work and go to war. This is the God of the Bible. And he says, I know your works. When the God of the universe that has flames in his eyes says, I see what you're doing, you have one of two responses. I don't believe in a God like that. Then stop making up fairy tale versions of God and believe in the one true God and stop rejecting him. But the other response would be, I'm in trouble and I need to get things right. I know your works, your love and your faith and your service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. What is he saying? I see you and they're like, uh-oh, flames of fire out of the eyes watching everything. And how does God begin? I am so encouraged by so many things that I see going on. And if that's you today, maybe the word that God has for you is, if you are being faithful, if you are submissive to God's will, living God's way, hear Him say, I see you. I see what you're doing. I see the sacrifice that you're making. I see you're growing and you're maturing. Because what does He say? The, the latter is more than the first. He's saying, it's getting better and better. Many of you, in so many ways, you are maturing and growing up. Out of pull-ups, mommy, wow, I'm a big kid now. And he sees it. And he's like, you are not just moping around and crying and begging and screaming. You're not a little baby anymore. You're growing up and I see it. And so for many of us here that are part of our church, I just want to say thank you for your growth, your faithfulness, your commitment, your putting off the old and desiring to mature and move forward and make progress. Who cares if I say thank you? The God of the universe sees it and he's saying, I see it and I'm proud of you and your reward is coming. And then he continues on to verse 20. Somebody say, uh-oh. He sees the good and we have a thumbs up and we have a pride that's there. But if we would fast forward to Revelation 18 as we see later on, I just want to tee this up before we get to 20. Revelation 18, 2 and 3 says this, Babylon is fallen, the, the city of man and all of man's efforts to make progress and to be progressive. That great city is fallen 
She has become a home for demons. She's a hideout for every evil spirit, a den for every disgusting vulture and every dirty and dreadful animal. For all the nations have fallen. All the nations. This is how the story ends. All the nations have fallen because of what? And here's where God goes. Part of the end is because, and here's an image, the wine of her passionate immorality. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her. Because of her desires for extravagant luxury, the worldly businessmen have grown filthy rich. That's my translation. You can look it up in different translations, all right? The story is not pretty as the story of mankind's history progresses. It gets really, really dark to the point of no return. This is where all of human history is headed. And God has a word not to say to all of those people out there, all those wicked people. He has a word to say to his church that lives in the middle of the wickedness. And here, if we could summarize the entirety of Revelation 1-3 through in one word, we would say this. Repent. 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 If you're taking notes, jot this down. Repent. Jesus will have none of it. He'll have none of it. Verses 20 and 21, this is what he says. But I have this against you. But, but, somebody say but. He's like, you're doing so good and I'm seeing progress being made. But I have this against you. We, we are at war. There is tension between King Jesus and his church. And here it is, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants. My, my servants, my people are being seduced to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Verse 21, and here's God's heart. And I hope you hear it. Here's God's heart for his church. I gave her time. I gave her time to repent. Somebody say, I have time. I have time to repent. Here's what God saw as he gave time and time and time and patience, 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 patience. But she refuses, refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So what, what's up with Jezebel? Can we get some clarity? Somebody say clarify. Okay, we're talking Jezebel and we, we could back up into 1 Kings 18, 19. We could be thinking about a, a queen rising up and a leader that, that everybody loved and they gravitated towards. And they're like, this is our kind of leader. I mean, th this, this woman is bringing together all different religious groups and we're all just holding hands, singing kumbaya. I mean, she's a, she's a peacemaker. I mean, she must really love us because she's just bringing everybody together in harmony. And she's seducing every group for her own pleasure and wickedness. And part of it was sexual immorality is what she was stating. Doesn't have to be separated from religious worship. And so why don't we, as an entire country, why don't we rally together? And what we can do is we can say yes to having sex and doing anything with your body parts and looking at anything that you want to. And you can worship God. And guess what they said? Woo! And God said, I am going to destroy her and her venom and her lies. Do you know how Jezebel's story ended? It was prophesied that nobody was going to be able to identify her when her story was all done. And you know what happened? She fell off of a high place, fell down, 
thought she was dead. Maybe she died, but she for sure died when God sent a pack of dogs to devour her to the point that all that was left was a skull and her palms. And everyone's like, whose skull is that? Why are there pieces of hands? Because that's what happens to so-called peacemakers that say, let's just all get along. Let's agree to disagree. Here's the word. Tolerance. Tolerance. And you know what? Every time I read the Bible, I'm like, irrelevant. I wish there was something relevant in the Bible. This is such an archaic book. It's so old. I mean, things have changed. We are in such a different place than all of these old stories. Individuals rising up saying, tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. Let's all just, quote unquote, love each other and get along because that's what love is. Love is tolerance, right? What does God think about our version of let's agree to disagree and let's all get along? He has some things to say about that and some strong things. And he says, this kind of spirit, this kind of attitude of Jezebel it's among the churches. How did it go from out there, absolute demonic wickedness that's clear, how did it end up creeping into the church? Well, I think every generation needs to ask the question. Maybe we could call this letter, Dear, More Tolerant Than God Church, the end of your story is death and judgment. I think we have to ask the question, are you more tolerant than God? When God says, I'm not going to tolerate that, and you go, I am. And he says, you shouldn't be proud about that. It's disgusting. It's evil. And you boast about how tolerant you are. And I wonder if there's going to be a time when pretty soon the church is going to say, well, you know what? If we've already gone this far of tolerance, let's just go all the way. How dare us judge anybody who wants to be a sexual predator? We need to let everybody in because we tolerate everybody. And if we're going to do ceremonies for marriages, if they want to marry a sheep or a dog, it's okay because love is tolerant. We tolerate everything. And I know that there's abuse going on in our culture, but I mean, we got to love everybody equally, right? So we're tolerant. And every step we take of tolerance of what is evil, there's a sense that we feel better that we're not judgy. And then we're going to face God on judgment day. Why didn't you judge rightly? Why didn't you discern between good and evil? And we got to remember this. I gave her time to repent. I gave her time. I get Church, I gave you time and you refused to repent. You boasted about this. Again, Jezebel is not, maybe not a specific woman. Maybe it was. Maybe there was a false teacher. There was a wolf in sheep's clothing in that church at the time that was stirring up Hey, why is everybody in our church so judgy? Let's just all love each other and meet each other where we're at and never say anything about the wrong and the sin. And maybe it's just a broader image of this picture. You know what happened with Jezebel back then in 1 Kings. It's happening here. This attitude, this personality shows up all around the church. And it's a problem. And so I wonder this morning, if we, if we know this is true, that God is not tolerant of evil and we should love God for that. God, thank you that you don't tolerate evil. God, thank you that you bring justice. God, thank you that you are patient with me and thank you that you're clear about what's right and wrong and that I don't have to take my cues from the world or Satan. I can believe a good God that has clarity of standards, but I jotted this down. God is patient beyond comprehension. Maybe you have that in your notes. 
God is patient beyond comprehension, but God won't tolerate your tolerance of evil for much longer. God is so patient, but there's going to come an end where He's going to say, you're not doing anybody a favor by agreeing with everybody about all of their moral decisions and their moral or immoral lifestyles. We need to be able to speak the truth. Anybody feeling the weight of like that's not super convenient for us? Anybody feeling the weight that like it's not widely accepted for us to speak the truth of what's right and wrong? Anybody feeling the weight of that? I just had a conversation not too long ago where again, well-meaning believer just asking the question, when you read these scriptures, what conclusion do you come to? And it's, I don't agree with that. I don't feel that that's true and therefore my feelings are stronger and more authoritative than God's Word. I don't want to listen to God. I want to listen to my own heart. That's what I've been taught. And it's heartbreaking because God would say, I hate that you're so tolerant because it's not love. You actually hate people because you're not warning them of the judgment to come. You're not preparing people. Love is sometimes an emotion, but it's always an action. Do you believe that? Love is sometimes an emotion. Somebody say sometimes. Love is sometimes an emotion, but it's always an action. And as, as your pastor, here's, here's the double standard. If, if you feel very strongly that I should be faithful to Sarah, my wife, and you should, why do you feel so strongly that I should be faithful to my wife and that you would have a problem with me if I said, I want to hang out with gay hookers and my wife. I want to be able to sleep with others and my wife. And I need you to be tolerant. If you really loved me, you would tolerate my particular choice of sexuality. Because if you're loving, you're tolerant. How many in this room would go, I would love for you to make your choices based on your desires and do whatever you feel led to do. How many want to see that happen? How many would encourage that? So the question is, if you're not going to encourage me to be unfaithful, you're not going to encourage me towards sexual immorality, then why are you justifying it yourself? And why are you encouraging others for them to follow their hearts? Well, it's because you're a pastor. I would say it's because I'm a Christian. And if I'm a Christian, I expect you to confront me if I'm living in sexual immorality. And God expects the church to be a church that is open to receiving correction when any of us go astray because it's not out of judginess and it's not out of criticism. It's out of loving warning that a lifestyle pursuing evil, and in fact, it's not loving to not warn. And so Isaiah 5.20, somebody want to write that down? Isaiah 5, Isaiah 5.20. Here's what we're warned in the, in the Old Testament. This is all over the place of clarity about what's right and wrong. And if we get this confused, because the, the church in Thyatira, they were getting it confused. They were doing good things, but they were confused about morality. Well, that's not new. Isaiah 5.20, woe, or what sorrow and regret and judgment to come. Woe to you. Woe to you who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. Woe to you if you bring confusion about absolute right and wrong to yourself, your family, your church, or your neighborhood, or your culture. Woe to you. This is a strong warning. Do you remember the Pharisees got the woes? I don't know if you remember that. If you fast forward, 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Right? Something's going on inside that is evil, even though on the outside you feel like you're doing the right thing. You're a hypocrite. You're living a double life. And here, again, there's a double standard of, well, it's okay for people to do certain things. I'm, I'm very tolerant. And I, I jotted this down. Instead, instead of love and instead of biblical godly warning, we have tolerance, not discernment. We don't want to call things right and wrong, good and evil, black and white, truth and lies, that which is of the Lord and that which is satanic. We don't want to say that. If you don't have categories like good and evil, then anything goes. And that's not love. That's not loving. And so maybe, maybe for some of us, we just ask, well, what's the big deal? If I make my own personal choices about morality and I, I say that I disagree with you or I disagree with the Bible, what's, what's the big deal? And can we have a moment of honesty? Can I do that? You're like, I think we're way past that by this point. Okay. If I lack discernment and I don't have clarity about what's right and wrong, I make myself vulnerable to any satanic delusion and lie and deception. I am gullible. I am misled if I don't take a stand on what's right and wrong. Anything goes. Every voice has an equal amount of authority and you're in danger. I wouldn't be loving if I didn't say, warning, if you're not discerning, your future is very predictable. I know the direction. I know the end of the story. I've read the book. If you love someone or something, you hate that which threatens it. Do you believe that? If I love my kids, I protect them from evil. Why don't you tolerate predators and perverts around your little girls? Because if you love something and it's precious and valuable to you, you protect them from that which is going to harm. Do we do that naturally? If we know that something is going to bring our marriage and our family into danger, we're going to do something to take a stand and say, that's not entering in. We're, we're going to put up safeguards and we're not going to allow that to take place, right? And God would say, more important than you being really concerned about all of your list, be really concerned about my list of what is bringing danger to your front door, what's knocking. And in many cases, it's things that we are encouraged to embrace instead of hate the evil. If you love your children, you hate predators. If you love your life, you hate death. If you love the truth, you hate lies. If you love the Holy Spirit, you hate demonic spirits. If you love marriage, you hate adultery. You hate sexual sin. To be for is to be against. And that is, are you ready? That is really intolerant. Love is, by definition, intolerant. When you love, you're intolerant. And we're not talking about being judgy. And we're not talking about criticizing and attacking everybody. And we're not talking about self-righteous arrogance. I would never do that. I'm so much better. I can't believe people that do those disgusting things. We're not talking about that. We're just talking about the simplicity of sexuality is a holy thing that God has gifted us. And what we do with it is to safeguard it and to tell a lost and dying world, God has a design. He created you. So what you do with your body parts matters to God. What you do with other people in relationships matters to God. What you do as you're going throughout your day and maybe some of you right now, instead of listening, you're on Facebook, but as you pull out your phone, I mean, think about this. As you pull out your phone, do you believe that anything that is sexual, even if it's not a real person, even if it's virtual, even if it's just a video, it's a picture, do you believe that it matters to God? Do you believe that that's not open for just interpretation? It's okay for some people, not for others. As long as it's not gay porn, it's straight porn. Is that where you draw the line? 
where do we draw the line? As long as it's not bestiality, as long as you're not sticking body parts into animals, like that's where we draw the line. Here's the big one. As long as they're 18, because when they're 17 and 364 days, you're a pervert for sexually engaging with him or her. But the moment you turn 18, man, free game sex, right? Do whatever you want. You're an adult. That's what Satan says. That's not what God says. I don't know what team you're on, but this morning, at least we can say, Team Jesus says age is irrelevant. Sexual immorality is disgusting whether you are six years old and things are done to you or you're doing things, or whether you're 69 years old. In God's eyes, it's morality. It's, it's right and wrong at every age. And here's the reality that we face. Our world does not believe that. Just think of the children. Think of the children. It's gross if they're young. And if you're a predator, predators, they're disgusting. Every person at every age can be a sexual predator for anybody at any different age. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant for God. But we have our standards, and maybe our standards are different than God. So are you more tolerant than God is tolerant? God is patient beyond comprehension, but God does not tolerate your tolerance of evil for much longer. Where specifically have I been refusing to obey God? I mean, for some of us, Maybe it's just a stance in your own mind, in your own heart of where you're at with what's right and wrong. And maybe some of the refusal is, I refuse to draw the line so narrow. I refuse to judge anybody just because they're making a different decision. But God is speaking. God's saying, that's your standard, not mine. Are you refusing to obey God's standard of what is right and wrong, what is holy and unholy? Have you been refusing it? I will not agree with God. I will not submit to God's rules, laws, and guidelines. God, that might be your perspective, but mine is better. Your old, crusty, dusty law book is irrelevant for today. We're living in 2023, yo. God, get caught up. And I wonder if today God's saying, why don't you get caught up with timeless truths that are unchanging? God's not the problem. His law's not the problem. Point to where the problem is. If I'm redefining, I'm the problem. I'm not part of the solution. Thyatira was in a major, major problematic point after faithfulness of being snuffed out because God patiently waited and waited and waited and they refused and they refused. This morning, what is it for you? God, I know that your word says, but, and I'm just not going to do it. Over the past three years, the number of conversations that I have had of breakthroughs of, I know God's been speaking to me about that, and I know he's trying to get my attention, and I know he keeps on repeating that, and I've just been making excuses and pushing it away. I know, but, I know, but, and I, I know, but not right now, and, and someday, and, and when it's more convenient, and when I get further along, then I'll, I'll do that, or when he changes, then I'll change, when she changes, then I'll change, when when finally somebody else changes, when the church is different, then I'll finally obey. When I'm in a different season of life and you got to understand my circumstances and it, it's different right now, but maybe in the future I will obey. And you know what's beautiful? Year after year, being able to hear testimonies of I'm done making excuses. I surrendered. I said, God, take it. I'm done fighting you. I'm done resisting you. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to live according to your rules, your guidelines, your laws. I'm going to do it how you said it is right and I'm going to admit I'm wrong. I repent. I repent. I turn, and I'm living differently no matter what consequences come my way. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Number two, recognize. Somebody say recognize. Recognize. Consequences will 
result from it. There are consequences. Do you believe that? If we have any parents or grandparents in the house, great-grandparents, great-great-great-grandparents, I don't know, how, how far are we going? We got some generations, right? And one of the things that we know with great certainty is that there are consequences for actions, right? And many times that we, we've had people say to us, if you keep doing that, this is what's going to happen. Do you recognize that there's consequences? Verses 22 and 23. Uh-oh, we got a familiar word. Somebody help me out. Behold. Come on. All right. Every time you see behold in Scripture, you know, like, this is like, pay attention, pay attention. you got to check this out. Check this out. Check this out. Behold. Come on, church. I will throw her onto a sick bed, a hospital bed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into the great tribulation. Wow. If the church keeps continuing on this way, if my kids keep on disobeying, there is this call of, it may start with a hospital bed. And again, that's a metaphor. It's an image, a picture of there's going to be consequences. It's not going to go well for you. I don't, I don't know if you've been feeling the weight of that, but the scripture that is absolutely true every generation is be sure your sin will find you out. There are no hidden sins. There's nothing in private. There are consequences. Hospital bed. And he's like, and if you're going to go all the way and be in the world and live like the world sexually, great tribulation. And here it is. Unless, somebody say unless, unless they repent of their works. Unless they repent of, of those immoral works. I'm done. I, I used to think that way. They're like, God's going to forgive me. God's a God of grace. It's okay. God forgives that. God is patient. He understands. You must not know the God I know because God, he has a tendency to just overlook all of that and just, just kind of forgive all of it. So I'm going to keep on doing my thing. And God says, consequences are going to start coming your way. Life is not working your way because God's trying to get a hold of you. And I don't know where it's going to start, but unless you repent, unless you turn around, things get worse and worse and worse. I don't know if any prodigal comes to your mind. Anybody that has claimed to be a believer and said, you know what? Church isn't for me. God isn't for me. The whole Bible thing, it's not for me. And maybe there's stories in your mind even right now of, and they're miserable and it's broken and their way is going to prove to be a painful, consequential life again and again. And do you know who does that? Who brings consequences? A loving father that cares enough to get the attention of any wanderer. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Consequences. Verse 23, I will strike her children dead. Somebody say, ouch. I don't know how you grew up. I don't know all the things that you've heard about. Well, the Bible teaches that, right? And the Bible says, and the Bible says. So is it accurate to say that sometimes some physical ailments, some sickness, some great trials and tribulations are a result of consequences that God is trying to say, you're going to reap what you sow. Do you believe that throughout history, people that have started walking with Jesus have died? And maybe some of those cases have been because there is a refusal to repent. I want to name the name of Jesus. I'm okay with God. And I'm going to double down on living my sexual, immoral lifestyle. What happened to them? How did they die so young? In some cases, somebody say in some, in some, we would be able to say that might be the case. That because there is such a destruction of the name of Jesus, the reputation of God is being so tarnished 
that God says, I'm not going to let rebellion continue on without consequence. How serious is, is God about sin and rebellion? Unrepentant, defiant, digging my heels in. I'm fine with God. I believe what the Bible says. Sometimes, when it's convenient, I'm still going to do my thing. I'm still going to do it my way. And I would just say, as a pastor, choose to sin, choose to suffer. And it's the goodness of God, it's the kindness of God that suffering would also be our teacher to lead us home. Some of you know my story of being around the church a little bit up to the age of 21 if somebody would say, are you Buddhist? No. Hindu? No. Satan worshiper? Not anymore. What are you? Would you, would you claim to be a Christian? I'd probably be like, yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, that's what I grew up with. And it took great suffering and consequence of almost losing my life over and over again in overdoses and car accidents, near fatal. And God's like, do I have your attention yet? Do you hear what I'm trying to say to you? And it took years and years of no, no. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to work harder to not get caught next time. I'm going to keep doing my thing my way. And all these years later, being able to now raise up a generation and with each one of our kids to be able to sit down and they say, Daddy, tell another story about the crazy drug overdoses. Tell another story about prison time. Tell another story about all your convictions and standing before judges. And every single time I get to say, God loved me so much that he's willing to destroy me. He was willing to have consequences again and again to shove my face down into the junk of my life and then vomit it up again so that he could say, have you had enough yet? Is it satisfying? Is it fulfilling those needs? Are you finding your identity there? Are you filled up? Is this freedom? Is this freedom, John? Does it feel free? And it took so much and it was so hard. How hard does it have to get before God has our full attention? How many hospital visits choose to sin, choose to suffer? Number three, jot this down. Run, run. Satan is, is all over it. Satan is in the midst of this. This isn't just us choosing. It's us being wooed away from God's path into the darkness, into the cesspool of the world of sexual immorality. Verse 24, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, I love this. He's like, he's circling back. But I'm talking to the rest of you. I know that was a hard word and I'm trying to get your attention. But to the rest of you who do not hold to that teaching, who do not think you can have one foot in the lifestyle of I can do whatever I want with my sexuality and I can kind of do the church thing and do the Jesus thing. If you don't hold to that double standard, two-faced, hypocritical life, I got a word for you. If you have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, if you haven't done a deep dive into utter depravity and wickedness and evil to you I say I don't lay any other burden on you it's such a sweet thing to have a God that is nothing like us to have a God that can say I'm absolutely holy and not even a speck of unholiness or sexual immorality can enter into my presence and I need to call you away from the satanic sexual deeds and attitudes and worldviews and he's calling those that say I don't want anything to do with that. I want God, I want to live for you. And for him to say, come in, come in. Anyone that has repented and turned from that, this lifestyle of Christianity is not burdensome. 
it's not this huge weight. It's not a, it's not a yoke that, that you can't carry. It's, Jesus said this, that it's light, that it's, it's light. And he's saying there is correction in the church that needs to take place. And for some of you, you don't need to be corrected. You need to be encouraged. You're exactly where you're supposed to be. You're doing the work. You're faithful. So don't feel any added pressure and extra laws and rules and try to go over the top of legalistic adding to God's word. You're free to live pure and holy. Be free. Live it. So he's talking to one church that is not one universal problem. It is a mixed bag of sheep and goats. It's a mixed bag of wheat and weeds. And he's saying, I, I don't want to burden you. This message isn't for you. He says this in verse 25, only hold fast, hold on to what you, what you have, what you're doing, how you're living until I come. I'm going to come back. So keep being faithful. Continue to live a holy life. And so can, can I bring encouragement once again? He starts this letter with some of you, you're increasing, you're growing, you're moving forward. You went from a little bit of a crawl to a walk to a jog, and now you're sprinting. Keep on going. And then he pauses, but we got to address the elephant in the room. We got to address the big rainbowed elephant in the room of everything goes and anything goes and all sexuality is everybody's private business. And he's like, that's demonic. It's lies from the pit of hell. And if you're trying to live in both worlds, it's going to end in destruction. And then he comes back. But I know that there's some of you that know that. You have discernment. You have wisdom that you know right and wrong and you're holding to it. Don't quit. Don't quit. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you're on the teeter-totter. I don't know if you are like, I don't, I don't even consider myself a Christian. I'm just here because I'm forced to. And for some of us, we've been walking this a little bit and we're seeing some momentum and we're starting to get a pace of holiness and transformation. And God wants to speak to the entire church, right? And say, know where you're at and know the direction that your toes need to be pointed. It's not where you find yourself today. It's where you are headed that matters. Encouragement or warning. I don't know which one lands on each of you, but there's so much at stake. There's so much at stake. And he says there are deep things of Satan that people are dabbling in. And I know with my personal experience, and some of you can relate, by the time I was 10 years old, I was already dabbling in seances, tarot cards, and witchcraft, and Ouija boards. And I'm not talking about playtime uh, at, at the girl down the street's house having a slumber party. I'm talking about legit, scary things that are so vivid in my mind that before I was 10 years old, I'm going, Satan is real. And I have seen supernatural, unexplainable things. And there is a draw to that that sucks you deeper and deeper because there's real power behind that. But for many of us, we're like, I would never dabble with that stuff. But you're addicted to pornography. And who's behind that is the same Satan that's behind tarot cards and Ouija boards and seances. Well, that's different. No, it's not. I believe that I'm a man or a woman or I'm a Furby and I don't know who I am and I'm not going to listen to what God says. I'm going to identify myself. And Satan is behind that. It's not just the dark magic stuff. And what does he say? He says, even in their day, some people are saying deep things of Satan are going on and people in the church are dabbling with that. I don't know if that's you. I would assume even in a, in a group this, this big, that in the past year, some of us have done things and dabbled in things where it's like, that wasn't just me making some choices. 
There was some dark stuff that I was headed down that I'm being influenced by. There are people in your family that you have seen things and experimented, and some of us are way away from that. Repent! And you said, yes, I need to run away from that. And others, we keep slowly going deeper into it, and yet we can show up at church and still have that in our private life. I know that I shouldn't be having the emotional fair, but at least I'm not having sex with him. We're just chatting. He just shows me attention at work. I know that it's wrong, but you got to understand, he's not doing for me what I think I need. Therefore, I'm going outside of this and I'm going to be shopping around. And we just got to acknowledge Satan is behind that. That's not just you making choices. You're being wooed and lured come closer. Some of us love horror flicks and we love music that we know is like, this is pushing me beyond what is anything holy, but well, at least I'm not like doing it in real life. I mean, it's just a video game. It's just a movie. Sarah should say, John, it's okay. I know she's a woman on the screen that you're masturbating to, but it's not like you're actually having sex with her. So that's okay. She would never say that. And God would never say to any of us, it's okay if it's not a real person. It's not a big deal. What's the big deal? And God would say, it's a really big deal because there are deeper things that you're being lured into. That's just the start. But we don't believe that. We don't believe that. I'm just doing, no big deal. I'm just experimenting. I'm just looking at it. I'm just thinking about it. At least I'm not doing it. At least I'm not. At least you're not dabbling in the demonic, but we are. And he says, repent and run. Run away from it. Run away from it. And lastly, number four, Write this down. There is hope in the end. Somebody say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Jesus has defeated it. Is this all bad news? Did I come Sunday morning just to hear a bunch of dark, gloomy end times? Everything's going to hell in a handbasket. Rejoice, rejoice. There's a lot to rejoice about. Why? Verse 26. The one who conquers, the one who overcomes, the one who keeps my works until the very end, the one who is an overcomer that endures, doesn't just overcome once, but keeps on going to him. To him, I will give authority over nations. Somebody say, wow, this is crazy. The God that has all authority is saying, I'm the conqueror, Jesus says. The risen Christ says, I'm the conqueror, and I am the one with all authority. And if you're with me, you are an overcomer. You're going to be able to endure anything, any opposition, any temptation, in verse 27, he will rule them with an iron rod, a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Do we, need, do we need some commentary here? What in the world is happening? A few things. The one who has the rod is the king. The one who breaks the pottery, when the fine china starts shattering on the ground, any time that there would be pots smashed on the ground, it would be because the king the general of the army was saying, we are going to war. Boom! Shattered pieces everywhere. Iron rod thumping the ground. And guess what happens? All of the troops are saying, when, where, now are we going? And when the king says, there is a war, and you're on team Jesus, when you're part of the army, you're saying, I'm with him, right? King Jesus, lead the way. We're going into battle, and we're doing this together. This is a war call. King Jesus is waging war against sin and Satan and this world system. And here's, here's maybe a truth that we need to be sobered by. Sin is declaring war on God. And if we continue on 
patterns of habitual sin that we're choosing. I, I know that people are telling me I should stop. They keep addressing it. I have people in my small group saying there's a pattern in my life. I know that my husband, my wife, my kids say, you got an issue. I know that when I'm doing things in private and God's voice is saying, you need to stop. No, you need to turn away from that. That's wrong. That's evil. And all those things are happening and you still say, I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm waging war against King Jesus because King Jesus is in the business of destroying sin. And if I am on team sin and rebellion, I'm not with him. I'm against him. Somebody say that's a problem. Sin is declaring war on God. And what if today could be the day that you wave the white flag and just say, I surrender. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be against God anymore. I can't do the double life. I can't pretend that I'm okay with God and still live this in my private life. The war's got to end and it's got to end with me surrendering because I want to be with this one who says, I'm an overcomer. I'm a conqueror. I can endure. I can go through. All authority is his, and therefore, it's mine as a believer. And so here are our last four things. Do you know who you are? And if you're on Team Jesus, this is what's true of you. Do you know who you are? Are you finding your identity from binging things on the internet? Are you getting your identity from the things that have been spoken over you and told over you as you've grown up? Are you getting your identity from this? Since Jesus can't be stopped, neither can we. I hope that's good news for you. He's saying, church, church, since Jesus can't be stopped, he's the king and you're with him, nothing is going to stop you from doing right. And if you choose to continue going left, God is going to stop you. But if you are with him, nothing can stop you. Neither can we be stopped. God may be stopping our plans, but if what's on his heart is on my heart, if his mission is my mission, nothing is stopping that. I don't know if you're feeling discouraged, this morning going, I'm trying to do things God's way. I'm trying to do it His way. And it's, it feels like it's being opposed and there's opposition. And remember, who you are, conqueror, overcomer. Number two, since Jesus has authority. Somebody say authority. Oh, He has authority. Guess what? So do we. So do we. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have authority. You have authority. You have authority. If you are speaking God's truth and there is a conviction that God is for you and you are with Him, there is authority that has been given to you as you're on his mission. Is that authority to do whatever you want to or to be flashy and self-righteous with it? It's to humbly yet boldly say, in Jesus' name, this is God's will and I am going to pursue it and I'm going to live it. Nothing can stop me and I have authority. But what about if I feel like super powerless? I mean, Pastor John, like I don't have the personality. I'm not an uh, extrovert and you got to understand my upbringing and there is power that is supernatural and it's not yours. And when you know who you are in Christ, guess what happens? you become somebody that you're not. The one thing that I told God, I will never preach. I will never get up in front of anybody. I am an introvert and I'm scared to death of public speaking. And I should say I was. Because when something happens inside of you where there is desire and power, guess what? I'm not thinking about me anymore and something new is happening. And now I'm saying, I can't not do this. I have to do this. I was horrified and I told God, I will not do this. And then now I can't stop. How does that happen? Well, it's because of your, your personality. and you, No, no, it is not. Ask Sarah about my awesome, not so awesome, personality. There's something that God does in us where we are powerless and defeated and discouraged and we are obsessed in our minds of analyzing and overthinking and being defeated. And when God comes in, little by little, He brings His power, His authority. Something changes. Have you experienced that? My heart is that you would and that you would continue to experience more and more and more. More more of you, God. 
more of your spirit in me, less of me, less of the old, your authority, not my way and my bossiness. I need more of you. And how about this? Number three, since Jesus has crushed his enemies, I love it. Somebody say crushed, crushed. He's crushed his enemies. So will we. I love it. Because in the end, when Armageddon goes down, who's going to be with King Jesus with the sword coming out of his mouth and he's slicing up his enemies and there's going to be blood up to the bridles of the horses? Who is going to be with him? We are. I don't know how that makes sense. I don't know what part we play, but we are going to be with him. We are on the winning side. And there's something about living it right now where enemies' efforts are being defeated in real time because it's not just the end of the story. It should be our whole story. Our story should be marked by overcoming enemy opposition. I know that Satan is strong. I know that's demonic work. I know demons are being used to lure me in or oppose me. But guess what? There's someone in me that's bigger than this. There is power in me. There's authority given to me. This is different. This is different. This isn't my way. Be strong. Willpower. Dig my heels in. Just try to endure. White knuckle it. Just grit your teeth and try to get through it. It's not that. Somebody say it's not that. It's not that at all. It's something new rising up when you know who you are, you know what you have, and you know that authority comes with enemy-crushing power. I hope that's good news. I hope that's good news. And I need to move forward differently than just being passive and defeated and discouraged and suicidal and anxious. I need something new. Do you know who you are? And lastly, since Jesus is generous, do you believe he's generous? Somebody say he's generous. It's so overwhelming to be able to see this. Verse 28, I will give him the morning star. What is that all about? I will give him the morning star. Do you know who the morning star is? Somebody say it's Jesus. The Father says, I will give you my son. I will not hold anything back. I'm going to, in essence, we could say the gospel is God. The good news is that I get God himself. And some of us, we want God's gifts. God, gimme, 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 gimme. Why don't you give me? How come you're giving them? How come you're overlooking me? Why do they have? It's not fair. Comparison, jealousy, envy. And do you know what's awesome? When we recognize that God says, I'm not just going to give you good gifts. I'm going to give you myself. And could we be really honest this morning? Most of us would rather have God just show up and pay our bills and give us a little bit of peace and have our kids shut up and behave than to have God. I don't want God. I just want a little bit more comfortable living. I don't want God. I just want my workplace to be a little bit safer. I don't want God. I just want a little bit more money. I don't want God. I just want people to treat me different. I just want to be liked. I would rather be liked than have God. And we would never say that. But if we're real, real honest, when God has given us himself, that's a generosity we know nothing about. So do you believe it? You have everything when you have Jesus. All satisfaction, all fulfillment, all hope. But we settle for less.